hello. Hello. Welcome back. How are you? Yes, welcome to this. Alternative interests. Yes. Yeah. So today's case is one of those like super famous cases that everyone knows. I think you and I were actually talking about this and you said you didn't recognize the name. No, I didn't. I think you actually know the story. So just to let everyone know, in case you didn't read the title of this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the murder of Kitty Genovese. Okay. And the two things that are really famous in this case is one that it's kind of where the bystander effect came from. And I'll kind of talk about that in a second. But the other thing that everyone always talks about when they're talking about this case is that there were 30 witnesses and no one did a thing. Holy shit. 30 witnesses? 37, I think, is what the New York Times reported. Oh, my gosh. This isn't ringing any bells? No. Oh, man. So all of this is new for you. Yes. I'm excited now. Yeah. So um, the New York Times originally reported that there were... So the title of the article said 38 and then the body said 37. Okay. So they originally reported that there were upwards of 30 people that had witnessed this murder in some way and not a single person helped her. And this birthed the psychological theory that we now know as the bystander effect. Okay. I'm intrigued. So the bystander effect is... In a nutshell, basically, people are less likely to help during an attack if more people are around. So the bigger the crowd, the less likely people are to help. Oh. So there's actually two factors that play into this. The first is diffusion of responsibility, which I kind of refer to as the not my job complex. Basically, Uh you're like, okay, there's tons of other people here. Someone else will take care of it. I get that. Okay. I totally get that. The other factor that plays in is social influence. So basically when humans are in any kind of interaction, you kind of scan the behavior of those around you to determine how you should act. Yeah. So when all the other people in the crowd are not doing anything, you're likely to do the same, which means you're not doing anything. Yeah. Because to step in and stop the attack means that you're breaking the norm of what that part of society has determined. And it calls attention to you. It goes against human nature, basically. Well, and I'm sure there has there something like it depends on who's being attacked too. Like, I'm sure if it's an adult on an adult, this is more likely to happen but I'm sure have they ever studied like if it's a little an adult on a little like attacking a little kid I'm sure more people would step in I think regardless of what other people are doing because also like they the psychology today website actually mentions bullying in theirs they say that this is this phenomenon also applies to bullying so any well any situation where there is a physical attack or um, any threat of violence, just any kind of attack that is happening on another person, the bystander effect happens. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So right now, because you're not familiar with any of this. No. A ton of the listeners probably are. But what if I told you right now, 
that everything I just said about this murder is wrong. I wouldn't know what to say because I don't know anything about this murder. (laughs) Yeah. So basically (laughs) all that I like because of how infamous this case is, it's just one of those ones that I always you take at face value. You're like, oh, yeah, I know that. And you and then you never look into it. Why have I never heard of this? I don't know. That is crazy. Because this is a very famous case. Okay. Well, lay it on me then. Yeah. So when I actually started digging into this, it turns out that everything that I ever really thought I knew about this, all of it's wrong. Oh, gosh. And so we'll get into the details and we'll just learn how wrong. Okay. So Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty Genovese, was born July 7th, 1935 in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Her parents were, were Rachel and Vincent. Um, I saw him referred to as Vinny in a couple of places. That makes sense to me because they were an Italian family. Uh-huh. I also just really like thinking of them as having mob connections. So he's like yeah. Vinny. <laughs> I love the name Vinny. I think it's cute. Yeah. Um, and Kitty was the oldest of five children. Okay. They lived in a neighborhood in Brooklyn that had many immigrant Italian and I think Irish families living in that area. It was very much an immigrant part of the city, kind of like a little Italy. Okay. Kitty graduated high school in 1954 and her family actually had to relocate for safety reasons and her family moved to Connecticut. Kitty decided to stay in Brooklyn with her grandparents instead of moving with the rest of her family. Huh. Um, I say that her family had to move for safety reasons because her mother had witnessed a murder like literally in front of their house. And that is why they had to move. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I tried to find more information on this murder. About that murder. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. All I could really find was that um, she had witnessed this murder and they had to move. I don't know if there was like some, again, they're Italian. I don't know if there's some kind of mob connection there and that's why they had to go. I don't know. Or if they knew the person murdered or. Or if it was like a unofficial witness protection thing that they were just moving her to keep her and by extension the family safe. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. Very quickly. Kitty ended up moving into her own apartment and she kind of took on a few different office jobs over the next few years. By 1958 or 59, because the articles I read kind of stated both. Yeah. um, She got her first bartending job and she actually really enjoyed this. It's a fun job. I had that when I was in college. And it's odd, like in the 50s for a woman to be doing that kind of work. Very different. That is true. I didn't think of that. Yeah. And um, she worked at a place called Ev's 11th Hour Bar, which again. Oh, that's. Gosh, we get great names in some of these. Like this one. I really like that. I like it too. Mm -hmm. And this was located in Hollis, Queens. Okay. One thing about Kitty is that everybody loved her. So, like, at this bar, Aww. the customers and her coworkers all loved her. In high school, people voted her as being one of the most likable, bubbly, happy people. She oh, was just, neat. She was just really well-liked. Are there pictures of her? I'm going to look up some pictures. She's so pretty. 
Oh, she is. She like you can see in her photos that she's just like full of life and interesting. Like some of the oh, photos. Oh yeah, she she's cute. Some of them she's very stereotypical in like a 50 style dress. And then other photos of her show her in like pants. And I think there's one photo of her like posing on a car. Uh-huh. But not in like not like a calendar model sort of way. It's like she's just sitting on a car and someone snapped a picture. I just, I like seeing photos of her. You know what's blowing my mind is that I just typed in Kitty to Google and she was like one of the first four to pop up and I still haven't heard of this. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. Anyways, I'm looking at a picture of her bartending right now, actually. Yeah. Uh, so the owner of this bar was pretty much mostly absent. And so Kitty ended up taking on the role of managing the bar. Uh-huh. So I, I, that's just a testament to how much people like her, that she's yeah. a female in the 50s and 60s that is running a bar. Yeah. So she was making pretty decent money and she was saving whatever she could because she actually had a goal of opening her own Italian restaurant someday. So she was doing well for herself. She was living with her girlfriend of several years. They lived together in an apartment in Kew Gardens in Queens. Uh Uh-huh. And this was about 45 minutes away from the bar. Okay. So basically life is going pretty well. Sounds like it. Yeah. This brings us to March 13th, 1964. At 2.30 a.m., Kitty finished her shift, she locked up the bar, and she drove home just like she did after work every night. She parked, there was this railroad station that was literally like a hundred feet from her door to her apartment, and so she would park her car there and walk, honestly, that's like a 30-second walk from her car to her apartment building. Yeah. The part about this that kind of like gives me the heebs is that this walk was actually through an alleyway oh which that's never good and that's a really short walk but it's through an alley still it's through an alley yeah so on this particular night kitty parks her car she starts walking towards her building and she sees a man with a very large knife approaching her oh god understandably she freaks out a little bit and she starts running okay The man catches up to her and stabs her twice in the back. What? Yep. Oh, no. Yeah. So at this point. And this is why you should never walk through an alleyway at night. Honestly, where else was she going to go? I I guess. I don't know. Yeah. The parking situation just wasn't ideal. Yeah. And that's what she did every uh, night. Oh, my goodness. So... She screams and she's like, oh, my God, he stabbed me. Help. So it's the middle of the night, generally a quiet time of night. You would think someone's screaming this. Someone would hear her. Yeah. A neighbor did hear Kitty and they shouted out their window. The guy said, leave that girl alone. That's it. Yep. You're just going to yell that out. Yep. Actually, this was enough to scare the guy off. So the attacker runs to his car and drives off. But did the guy come down, the neighbor who yelled that, or did he just... You would think so. He's like, job done. Yes. <laughs> Essentially. Like, that's Hero. All. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kitty staggers her way through the rest of the alley, 
she gets to the door like the um there's a vestibule with a door that led into her apartment building she gets that far the door is locked okay she's weak she's disoriented from loss of blood well, yeah shock is probably setting in she's too weak to call for help and she collapses outside the door oh no about 10 minutes later somebody finally comes upon kitty but it's the okay. man who attacked her coming back for seconds. Oh, no. Yes. He had put on a wide-brimmed hat to disguise himself. He had been watching Kitty for a few minutes to make sure no one else was around. And he comes up and he finds her. She's still alive, but, like, just barely. Oh, no. He stabs her several more times. He rapes her. Right there? Yep. Outside the door? Yep. He steals money from her. She had... Wait, oh, oh, hold on. She's in... She's outside the door of her entryway to her apartment. Yes. And he's doing all of this just right there. Yes. That's insane. Uh-huh. And ballsy. Do you see why this case is so like... Yeah. 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 So he steals the money out of her pockets. She had $49 in her pockets. Ugh. I didn't do the conversion with uh, inflation to see yeah. how much that was. But $49 was probably a lot. That's just I feel like he didn't even need it. That was just like the the last fuck you to her yeah. as he left. So finally, Kitty's 70 year old neighbor, Sophia, comes outside to investigate and she finds Kitty lying in a huge pool of blood. Somehow she's still alive. So. Oh, wow. Kitty has been attacked twice in 10 minutes, blood everywhere, raped, and she is still barely alive. Oh, wow. This woman. Sophia. Holy moly. She cradled Kitty in her arms Aww. until police came 30 minutes later. 30 minutes? Who called the, for the police? Uh, we'll get into that later. Okay. So Kitty actually ended up dying in the ambulance on her way to the hospital. Well, yeah. It sounds like she really didn't even have a chance. Right. So, like, listening to this whole series of events, it's like, okay, where did we go wrong? Yeah. It's like, okay, no one calls the police. No one looks outside. No one comes to see what's going on. The guy just kind of shouted out his window. Uh, he And this guy basically did this in open, like, as a show. Granted, it's three in the morning. True, but still. I mean, but still, it sounds like she open. put up a fight. What I was thinking of when I was looking into this is Kitty is so well loved by everyone. Yeah. I can't imagine that people in her apartment don't know who she is. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's like, what happened? So we'll we'll get into what happened later, but well, I'm going to... better be good, because I think this is ridiculous. Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. So we're going to go into the murderer, because they actually found him very quickly. Oh, good. Yay. Who is this douchebag? Six days after the murder... A man was witnessed carrying a TV out of the witness's neighbor's home. That's okay. the kind carrying of Carrying a TV out of... That was kind of confusing. So basically, yeah. a witness was in his home, and he saw his neighbor's house being burglarized, basically. And this man that was burglarizing his neighbor's house was carrying a TV to a white car. 
Okay. Police ended up coming out pretty quickly and they apprehended the man. And one of the officers remembered like, oh, hey, you know, one of Kitty's neighbors said that they saw an unfamiliar white car on the night of her murder. Okay. So I think this is the guy. What? I'm I'm really glad that you're so like, what about this? Because I was too. Yeah. This is where I'm going to mention that the man who was burglarizing the home was black. Okay. So now you can see why they're like, oh, a black guy stealing a TV who has a white car. He must be he our must guy. Be, yeah, he must be the person who has committed every single crime in the last week in the two mile radius. Oh, my God. You're going to. Am I right? It is so funny you say that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we'll get into it. But you can see why I think this is a pretty far stretch, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So they end up apprehending the, ma- the man. His name is Winston Mosley. Okay. Winston basically immediately was like, yeah, I murdered her. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he actually gave details that matched evidence at the scene. So everyone was like, yeah, you definitely did this. So what happened that night was that Kitty was driving home from work, like always. She had briefly stopped at a traffic light. And Winston okay. had been sitting in his parked car and happened to see her and followed her home. So just a random. Basically. Okay. Winston later confessed that he had been trolling the neighborhood for an hour and a half looking for someone to kill. Why? Just because? Because he's weirdo. Okay. The police were like, okay, why why and he was like kill a woman that's it yeah that's what he wanted to do yeah he said that murdering someone was a thought that just kind of popped into his head one day and he couldn't ignore it he was like yeah one day it just kind of popped in my head like hey like you want to kill a person okay and it was just in his head and it wouldn't go away so something had been brewing in his head for a long time now. I highly doubt this guy was just like, I'm just going to kill somebody. He had to have been thinking about it for a long time. Right. Plus but- his name is Winston, Winston. So, I mean. Yeah. So he proceeded to confess to the like all the details in Kitty's murder. He then confessed to two additional rapes and murders. Oh, my that goodness. Very recent. And then he confessed to an additional 30 or 40 burglaries. What? So when you said. Holy cow. When you said that, oh, he must be the guy that did like every crime. Like, it's funny. So he's like really the guy. They didn't even know they were looking for this guy because Winston prior to this, like prior to getting caught, he had zero criminal record. So he just all of a sudden just becomes a criminal yeah okay yeah so um obviously winston is charged with murder and robbery and he's taken to trial okay he decided to go for an insanity plea and so he said he was not guilty by reason of insanity and i don't know why his defense team thought this was a good tactic 
But their strategy was basically, we're going to put Winston on the stand and we're just going to let him talk. And the longer he talks, the crazier he sounds. And he'll just make his own case that he's crazy and it'll all be fine. So we're going to we're going to like put the wackadoo on stage to be a wackadoo and then everybody will know he's a wackadoo. Yeah, essentially, that's what his defense team did. Okay. Yeah. So he um, Winston said pretty much that he was just obsessed with the thought of murdering people and that once the thought was in his head, he literally could not get rid of the thought until he murdered someone. Crazy. After his arrest, but before the trial, when people, when he's starting to say this like ridiculous stuff. Yeah. They were like, let's get you an evaluation, shall we? So he does. Oh, so they hadn't, when he was arrested, they got him an evaluation? Yeah, he went underwent multiple psychiatric evaluations. Well, I would hope so, yeah. They actually did find that he had a few unspecified mental disorders. So the, okay. the thing, it's um, what the article said was, quote, psychological disturbances and issues with women and sex. That's it? Yeah. Um, they also, some psychiatrist confirmed that Winston was very likely a necrophile. Why would they assume that? I was think, there evidence that he did something with after he killed them? Well, Kitty was basically dead when he raped her. Oh, that's right. Because he had stabbed her in the back like before that and then came back and stabbed her And he her stabbed more. her more and then, yeah. And she was like clinging to life at that point. Yeah. Like okay. barely. I don't okay. think she was um, conscious, but it was like still there were signs of life still. Okay. Okay. What they did not find was like mind altering insanity. None of them said that he was not sane. Uh huh. He was actually extremely intelligent. They said his IQ was 135. Most of them are. 140 is Mensa, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's Who is like, it? Who's that other one that's super smart? Ed um, Gein? Yeah, I just, yeah, Ed Gein. Yeah, that's crazy. And he ripped off, he cut his mother's head off and had sex with her head. Yeah. So the prosecutors basically argued that he acted with plenty of presence of mind. He showed awareness that he knew exactly what he was doing and he was actually taking evasive measures to make sure he wasn't identified. So his initial attack on Kitty where he stabbed her twice, Uh huh. it wasn't the man shouting out the window that scared him off. Oh. It was in the back of his head. He was like, oh, shit. I parked my car literally right there. People are going to see me get into it. I need to move my car. So right in the middle of a crime of him stabbing a woman, he decides he needs to move his car. Basically, and it's, I think it's kind of because he heard the guy shouting and he realized like, hey, someone has actually like seen this. So he goes and he moves his car and then he comes back. And when he okay. was in his car, he switched his hat. I guess he was wearing like a beanie at first. He switched his hat so that people wouldn't realize that he was the same man coming back. <laughs> Just like at Costco, when you uh, change, like you take off your hoodie or put your hat backwards to get another sample. It's basically what he was doing in a... I didn't know that was a thing. 
Oh my gosh, it is a thing. <laughs> you don't you don't want the sample lady to know that you've been there before. <laughs> oh yeah, see, I don't. Isn't the better tactic to like send? Like I go over and I grab two and I'm like, oh, this one's for my husband. And then you send the husband over and he's like, oh, this is for my wife. And then you both have two. Or to spice up the life a little bit, <laughs> you have Flip disguises and, and different names too and accents. <laughs> okay, so I have enough trouble even getting into Costco because they, before COVID, I'm not kidding. A woman asked to see my ID because she was like, um, you can't use your parents card to get in. And I was like, I'm 28. <laughs> well, now you're not. You're 30. Well, at the time, it was pre-COVID. <laughs> so his trial lasted for three days. Very fast. Yeah. On June 11th, the jury came back from deliberations and they had a guilty verdict. He was sentenced to death. Makes sense. Yep. On June 1st, 1967, like almost exactly three years later, the New York Court of Appeals actually reduced his sentence to life instead of the death penalty. Why'd they do that? Does it say? I, I'm not sure. Okay. But like, I don't know if it had to do. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just know he went through the appeals process and they reduced his sentence. Not like it does much for him anyway, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to go back and talk about those other two murders he confessed to. Okay. So the first one was for a 24-year-old woman named Annie Mae Johnson. Annie had been killed inside her apartment on February 29th. This was oh. just like a month before Kitty had been killed. Okay. Police were actually stumped by her case and they had like zero leads. So when he confessed to it, they were like... Um, okay. So when Winston confessed to this murder, he was adamant that he shot Annie and that she had not been stabbed. Okay. This was an issue because the official autopsy said that Annie had been stabbed. Police at first are like, oh, okay, dude, like you're not even getting the details right. Like if you're going to yeah. confess to a murder, get it right. I guess Winston was so adamant that police were finally like, maybe we need to look at this. So they exhumed her body. Just in to make sure. Yeah, in order to do another uh, medical examination on her. Were they scared that he was just confessing to things just to confess? I think it's just the fact that he confessed to this. And like he didn't even get the details right. Okay. It's It's weird. Yeah, that is weird. So this second medical examination was actually conducted by the chief medical examiner, Dr. John Fury. And he determined that Annie had, in fact, been shot six times, not stabbed. Oh. And Annie's body still had six bullets inside of her. Oh, my. I thought they removed that. Did not they if they think it? you're stabbed. So... Fragments from four of the bullets were removed and the other two bullets were actually lodged in her spine and like deep into her muscle tissue. So they couldn't get those last two out. Well, so I'm I'm confused. The police said that she was shot. No, no. Winston said she was shot. The police said she was oh, stabbed. Oh, OK. That's why I was like, what? They, no. they knew she was shot. Okay. No, they thought she was stabbed. That's why the bullets were still in her. 
So this oh, is like a well, huge the, mistake. Like this is a very big mistake. Yeah, the first body examiner obviously did not know uh, what he was doing. Yeah, so actually as a result of this, the chief medical examiner was like, so from now on, all autopsies are going to be done at this specific medical office. And it was, um, I can't remember the intersection, but it was basically the morgue that was right next to the chief medical examiner's office. Well, yeah. And we're going to use a brighter light bulb because apparently you guys can't figure out a gunshot from a stab wound. Honestly, I don't understand. Yeah, They look a lot different. So based on the details that Winston gave, he was actually arraigned in Annie's murder. Oh, okay. He was never um, convicted of her murder, but I think this is pure speculation on my part. I think because he got the death sentence in Kitty's case, they kind of let this one go. Okay. And then like, so they didn't want to pile it on because it wasn't really going to do anything. He's in there for the rest of his life. Anyways. I think so that and like all they had was his confession. They didn't have any other evidence. So okay. they didn't know, like I'm assuming that they couldn't get a solid case on him. So they were like, you know what? He's already in for Kitty. Good enough for us. The bad guy's locked up. Okay. So the second murder he conf- uh, confessed to was for a 15-year-old girl named Barbara Kralik. She Aww. had been stabbed, stabbed in her family home in July of 1963. This was the year before. And this Kitty? Is, yes. So Aww. the July before Kitty, it's about nine months. Okay. The problem with this was that there was actually an 18-year-old named Alvin Mitchell who had also confessed to murdering Barbara. What? Yeah. I always find that weird when people confess to murders that they didn't do. Yeah. So from the information I could find of Alvin's confession, it says that it was corroborated by two different people. One was like the getaway driver. And the second was a neighbor who was like, yeah, I saw Alvin climb into her house that night. Okay. Um, I also saw in a statement that Alvin made later, he tried to take his confession back. And he was like, well, I might have punched her a little bit, but I don't remember stabbing her. (laughs) Alvin does not sound like the brightest crayon in the box. No, but this is where it gets a little funky to me. He said that he signed his initial confession because the police were beating him. And it was basically one of those, you know, this will stop if you just tell us you did it. Like, tell us you did it and and we won't hit you anymore. He said that he was beaten so badly that he he honestly, he could not remember how many times he had been hit or who had hit him. Because that's how many times they had hit him in this interrogation. Well, well is there evidence of that? I'm sure someone saw someone, you know. It's the NYPD in the 60s. Oh, yeah. And true. we saw who they hired in the 2000s. In, that's true. In uh, that's tr- our that's previous true. episode. You are correct. Yes. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> so Alvin actually ended up going to trial for this murder. Oh, wow. And Winston testified in his trial. Testified against him or for him? For him. He was like, oh, that like, was, he, it was he, me. It wasn't that him. That was me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I would have loved to have been on the jury. Like, what? Honestly, so actually the jury ended up deadlocked because they were like, 
Well, yeah, we don't there's know. no other choice. That is so funny. And that I know of, Alvin was never actually convicted for the murder. I don't know if they ever oh took him goodness. back to trial. So did he get did he get off? I wonder if he got off. Yeah, got free. Alvin was never convicted. And oh, okay. Winston so. was never convicted. So I think everyone so, was just like, yeah, Winston is just going to keep coming in and saying he did it. So they just gave up on that. I think so. Then. Yeah. Well, how shitty for her family, though. Honestly. But I she think. She was only 15. I th- I was trying to find more information on how Alvin knew her. Yeah. Reading between the lines, it looks like he may have been in a relationship with her. I really can't tell. So I think it's one of those, like, everyone knows who did it. But because Winston keeps fucking shit up, like, they can't actually convict Alvin. Yeah. Going back to Winston, because we're actually not done with him yet. In March of 1968, he escaped from prison. Oh, really? How did he escape? He had a self-inflicted injury that required minor surgery at a hospital. What did he do? Do we know what he did? Did he, like, cut himself with a fork? What did he do? I'm going to tell you. Oh, my gosh. I did not see this coming. Oh, no. And I cannot say it with a straight face. He shoved a soup can up his ass. Oh, my gosh. And he had to be transported to a hospital so that they could surgically remove it. So, okay. okay. (laughs) I am thinking of the regular size Campbell's soup cans. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Or even the small, like, condensed cans. Even that's really big to me. How do you get that? And, I mean, that's a lot of massaging to get that. He really wanted it. And did he do this? It was his whole motive for this so that he could go to the hospital or did he enjoy this? No, this was I think this was a plan because on the way to the hospital, he overpowered the guard that was with him and beat the guard so badly his eyes were bleeding. He did all of this with a soup can up his butt. (laughs) Because I don't mean to get really TMI, but. Sometimes when I have to go to the bathroom, like it's you can't think I, of anything else. I can't think of anything else or even walk correctly. So beating up a guard and like, wow, what? Wow. I know. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty impressive. Like, I mean, and in this whole timeline, I know the soup can came out at some point, but I don't know when, because listen to this. Oh. After he escaped, he found a vacant home and he stayed there for three days. And he had a, he had soup for dinner eventually, right? Like, this isn't, okay, <laughs> I, I, you know, Winston's a wackadoo, but this, like, isn't the worst plan in the world. Except because for, like, not, it's stuck there now. Well, but it came out in this house he was at, right? Eventually, I don't know when it came out. Well, now he has dinner. Like, this is actually a solid, solid plan. Oh, man. So this house was actually a vacation house for a couple. They came to check on it while Winston oh, was there. No. Winston did the completely rational thing. He took the husband. He tied him up and gabbed him. And then he raped the wife. Oh, no. And then he stole their car and ran to another house. He should have just laid low. 
and like I think he let was. them go. He was for a few days, but how do you sleep at night with a soup can up your butt? <laughs> I don't like, know. That is all slept. I would be thinking about. It had to have uh, come out is... at some point. I just don't know when. Yeah, God. Ouch. Yeah. So um he he runs, he finds the second house, he breaks in. And a woman and her daughter were actually in the house. So then he holds them hostage for a few days. Not a few days, a few anything. hours. He doesn't do anything to them, does he? I don't think so, because he only okay. actually held them hostage for two hours. Okay. And so he eventually lets them go, and then he turns himself in. Because, you know, he likes to confess, so he needed to get that off his chest and go tell a policeman that he did all these things. Okay. So he received two additional 15-year sentences. I saw two different things. I saw that these were supposed to be concurrent with his life sentence. And then I saw somewhere else that said that they were supposed to be served at the end of his life sentence. Because, you know, life sentences, they're not always true life. So I don't know if he was like a 20 to life. And at the end of 20 years, if he gets paroled, he gets that. Now he stays in to do this 50, 15 yeah. I don't know which one it was. I just know he got these extra sentences. And okay. so Winston died in prison on March 28th, 2016 at 81 years old. Good. And he was one of the longest serving inmates in the New York prison system at the time. I didn't see how many times total he actually applied for parole. But I did see an article from, I think, 2007 that said he had been denied parole 13 times at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I know they said that he was up for parole again, I think, in 2010. I don't know if he applied. I'm assuming he did because he thinks he should be out because he's a nut job. I don't know. So, So now we have to circle back around to the night Kitty was murdered to kind of talk about what happened there. Yeah, and I want to know who these, like, 30 people were that were witnesses. So the New York Times released an article shortly after the murder. It was somewhere between one and two weeks. And that was that article that I said they stated 37 or 38 people had witnessed her murder and not done a single thing to help. They didn't even mention Kitty's neighbor who cradled her until she died. Like, the New York Times said nothing about her. That's weird. The article was famous because it quoted an unnamed resident and that person was supposed to have said, quote, I didn't want to get involved. Oh. So, of course, like public reaction to this article, everyone was pissed. Everyone is like, how did no one help this woman? So psychological research actually spurred from this to investigate why did no one want to get involved? What does this mean? And this is what became the bystander effect. Okay. So again, I'm going to tell you, that was all a lie. The bystander effect? The New York Times recently, like within the last 10 years, printed an article that was a correction to the original one. Basically, they said, hey, you know, sorry, guys, but like, um, there wasn't actually 38 witnesses. Oh, yeah, there were actually only six witnesses and multiple of them actually called the police. So who made up the 30 number? I'll get to that in a sec. Okay, okay. 
So the witnesses to this, there was actually, because of the layout of the building, there was the alley that was kind of really open, and then there's the vestibule that was kind of closed off. You couldn't yeah. see both attack sites from one place. You could see one or you could see the other, but you couldn't really see both. Okay. So there were several witnesses who saw the first attack. There was only one man who saw the second attack. He said that he was super drunk when he saw it. And so he actually didn't know what to do at first because in his drunk state, he did end up calling the police later. But like in the moment, he was he just didn't know what to do. So then he wouldn't even be reliable. Uh, Kind of. But like. But he still didn't do anything. So it doesn't matter. Not not in the moment. Like right away. Yeah. He did later. Uh, there was a teenage boy with his dad that his dad called the police like right then and i think they had seen the first attack there was the man who shouted from the window yeah and then there was the woman who held kitty which is really sad sophie sophia sophie yeah yeah and a bunch of neighbors in the building said that they had heard like a ruckus but they thought that it was either a lover's spat or uh, that it was like a couple of drunk kids being rowdy. They didn't recognize it as an attack. Okay. So, I mean, some people heard, but like the people who actually witnessed the crime tried to help. Huh. So what's really interesting is that even though the initial information from the New York Times is extremely incorrect. Yeah. There has been subsequent research that proves the bystander effect is a real thing. Well, yeah. I mean, whether six or 38, it's the fact that no one tried to physically come and help her. And the bystander effect doesn't actually only apply to physical. It applies to calling the police, too. Like, how many times have you been driving down the road and you see, like, a guy swerving and you're like, I should call the cops? And you're like, no, someone else will call. And you don't. That's the bystander effect. It's it's that thought in your head that like, you know, other people can see this. Someone else will take care somebody of somebody else will help him. Yeah, that's actually happened to me several times. So I totally. Yeah. And so, yeah, the bystander effect, I don't feel like it actually applies to the murder of Kitty Genovese. And there are actually many people who argue that using the murder of Kitty Genovese as an example of the bystander effect is incorrect. And I, I actually agree. Because it, I, I agree with that, yeah. too, because it's I mean, it was it was out in the open, but it's not like whether it was 38 or six people, they weren't like standing around it. Yeah. And people tried to help. The whole thing with the bystander effect yeah. is no one and helps. The guy, and the guy yelled out the window and then people called the police. Yeah. Sophie came down to hold her. So I it just it's not the bystander effect. But kitty this crime actually did have one very big positive outcome that i have never heard associated with this case because everyone is so focused on the bystander effect they completely ignore this kitty's murder was one of the biggest factors in the development of the 911 system oh basically one of the issues in getting police to respond i mean it took them 30 minutes to get out there 
because people had to either call the police department directly or they had to call the operator and the operator had to connect them to the police department. There was no one phone call, like phone number that people could call to get a hold of an emergency system. They had to know the number and call them directly. Oh, okay. So in a way, the incorrect information that was in that original New York Times article actually helped because people being so angry about this is what caused officials to be like, we need to create something. That they thought there was actually 38 people that had witnessed this and did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was public outrage basically was what local officials were like, man, we need to do something because everybody's looking at us. Well, good. So that was the beginning of the work on what they were referring to as a unified emergency response protocol. And that became what we know of as 911 today. Good. Well, then something good came out of it. Yeah. Whether the information was correct or not, something really good happened because of it. So I found, interesting enough, the original New York Times article was actually questioned by several people over the years. Even when it came out, people were like, really? 38 people did nothing? Really? Are you sure about that? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. Honestly. So the editor who actually ran the piece was named A.M. Rosenthal. And he Uh was adamant that he was this quote. um, He was interviewed in 2006 and this 2006. He stood by this. And this is what he said. He said, quote, in a story that gets a lot of attention, there's always somebody saying, well, that's not really how it's supposed to be. So basically, huh. he's saying that when when information gets big, there's always going to be someone saying you're wrong. There's always a naysayer. Yeah. Yeah. So he stood by his false information until the day he died. Oh, wow. And he even wrote a book called 38 Witnesses. <laughs> well, he can't go back on it now or he probably couldn't back then either. Mm-hmm. He's not going to go back on that. He actually made his way up to be the editor in chief of the New York Times. So well, I think it was after he died that that retraction article came out that they were like, uh, okay. by the way, we found out that this information is fake. Well, here's my next question. Did he make that up himself or is this what he got from the investigation? Something in between. Okay. There was no one. Okay. There was no one that said um, flat out like, oh, we have testimony from 38 witnesses It was like a rumor he heard that like there were so many people in this building and they all must have heard or so. And so he made up this number. Oh, so Kitty's murder, like I said, it's infamous. I don't know how you haven't heard it, but yeah, it's not infamous to me. It's inspired a ton of pop culture references. I won't name them all, but there's several books. There's a book by Dean Kuntz that's kind of loosely based on her story. There's several episodes of like CSI that are based on this. Really? This is crazy that I don't yeah. even know. The reference that I know best is actually, have you ever seen the movie Boondock Saints? No, my husband loves that movie. I've never seen it. I love that movie too. In the opening scene, uh, they're kind of in a church and you can hear a pastor doing a sermon in the background. The pastor is talking about Kitty's murder. Oh, 
Yeah, so that's the reference I know best. I might have to watch that movie now. Yeah. I think you would like it. Okay, I should watch it. And the other one that I thought was actually really interesting is that in the Watchmen graphic novel series. Oh, I watched the series, the Watchmen series with my husband. And when I I say watched loosely because I uh, watched the You were in the room while I was playing. Yeah, I watched the first 10 minutes and would fall asleep. But uh, but yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. So in the graphic novels, Kitty Genovese is actually a character in the graphic novels. Oh, wow. she didn't make it into the TV show, but she is in the novel series. Oh, OK. Oh. Huh. So I thought that one was pretty cool. Like that yeah. one was really interesting because I, I didn't write it down, but I think they kind of make her like an empowered female that. Um, works towards justice because of this. Yeah. I'm going to have to like keep an eye out on that. I still think it's so crazy. I'd never heard of this. I think it's crazy too. Yeah. (laughs) I love, especially because when you, I don't know, people obviously don't know this when they listen, but you know, Crystal has notes or all have notes. And like, I love how you wrote like, you've heard of this case and I'm like no I haven't <laughs> so I think I it's ruined so like weird. the first like part of your case because you're like and then everything you know about this case is a lie and I and then I'm like well I haven't I don't even know about it anyway <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know every time even in other true crime podcasts like people will refer to this And I just remember so many, I can think of Morbid and Crime Junkie just off the top of my head, specifically talking about, yeah, you know that case where the, there was the 37 witnesses and no one did anything? Yeah. It's like, I cannot believe that so many people have this story so wrong. Yeah. And I get it because the truth only very recently came out. Well, 2016, yeah. Yeah, and I I think it's 2016. That's the closest approximate, but like really recently. Yeah, that is recently. So wow. yeah, wow that well that was interesting. And see, I like that I had no idea about any of <laughs> I'm it. Just, I'm baffled. And that that soup can was a was a nice little addition. Yeah. <laughs> man, oh, man. That's crazy. I just cannot. So I guess one of the traits of the the rectum that makes it so dangerous oh, to shove stuff up there is that it tends to suck things up in there. That's why well, like. Yeah. Once you like loosen it up. I mean, I wouldn't know. But once you loosen it up, I'm sure it's like a, a dark hole and just like. Well, not even when you like loosen it up. Um she she won't mind one of my older sisters works um in a hospital setting Uh and they frequently get people with like sex toys that are not meant for anal play up their asses or like a light bulb up their asses and they're stuck there and it's not because the object is too big because your your butt actually expands quite a bit the problem is the muscles tend to tighten and it'll suck stuff up in there and that's why things get stuck well, yeah, I would also like to point out how free you were with the word anal play. Like everyone knows what that is. Like, oh, oh, it wasn't an anal play tool. Oh, interesting. Like, <laughs> well, this is anal play. This is sex toys meant for 
the anus actually have a little wedge or a stopping thing at the end to keep them from going all the way in. <laughs> well, then, what? where was that on the soup can, huh? <laughs> I hope there are... It was are, flat at the I front. I hope not only now we have 911, but now there are labels <laughs> on soup cans that say not meant for anal play, Okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. And with that. <laughs> that should be called the Winston effect right there. The Winston effect. Oh, my God. I don't want to memorialize this dude for anything. Like, he was a crazy asshole to the end. But we'll leave that. Um, yes. Our Our end discussion with you guys. I hope you all learned something about which toys you do and do not use in which orifices. And also about soup and about doing the right thing when you see something wrong happening. Honestly, like I know the bystander effect is kind of built into human nature. Try and do your best to fight against it. I know I do. I really try. And I used to work in a place where I had to call 911 at least five or six times a night. So... Bystander effect does not affect me anymore. Yeah. I I will pick up my phone and dial nine one one. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I, I just really look around and see what other people are doing. <laughs> yeah, I think it just became such second nature that yeah. I just dial and I'm like, here's the problem. Take yeah. care of it. Bye. Well, thank you for that uh, story with You're so welcome. many twists and turns. And I just I really hope that people remember this case well i think they will for the for the positive that like this was a really big instigating factor in creating the 911 system and it was not the origin of the bystander effect i just i want to leave that behind all right awesome yeah well thank you you're welcome have six safe sex this week (laughs) have six safe (laughs) sex Safe sex. Have six safe sex with your soup can. Please don't. I do not want to see a single person giving us a one-star review because we encouraged you to have anal play with the soup can. That is not anal what play. it is about. Holy moly. <laughs> anal play, vaginal play, mouth play, ear play. There's all sorts of play. Ear play? I don't know. We gotta go. This is getting weird. <laughs> All right, bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.